The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. You know that uh, yesterday, Alberta hit a grim milestone. Alberta Health reported the largest number of COVID-19 related deaths in a 24-hour period since the pandemic hit the province. Uh, 20 deaths in 24 hours. Alberta's death toll now stands at 427. As far as new cases, you know that Saturday we saw 1,026, Sunday 991 new cases, and yesterday 860. Uh, that's equaling up to a total of 2,877 in just three days. So when it comes to Alberta's ICUs, right now 57 of the 70 total available beds are in use. And you'll remember Dr. Hinshaw explaining how COVID is impacting the healthcare system yesterday. If you didn't hear that, I'll play that again for you coming up because it was a really powerful clip. I think it really, really uh, cleared the air on what exactly is going on in Alberta hospitals. Uh, but you know that the health system is made up more, more than just beds and capacity. It's carried by human human resources, health workers and support staff and after nine months of working through a pandemic the strain is showing. Dr. Peter Brindley is a full-time critical care physician at the University of Alberta Hospital. Dr. Brindley, welcome back to the show. You're so kind, thank you. One day you will call me Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start. Uh, I'm curious to know what you're witnessing inside the hospital. Um, I think the last time we talked was maybe about four weeks ago, six weeks ago and certainly we have seen a a big spike in the numbers. We've seen those numbers rising. We're seeing, you know, death toll yesterday, 20 dead in 24 hours from COVID-19. Paint a picture. Tell us what else, uh, tell us what you're dealing with. Well, I think you already did. The numbers are what the numbers are. Nobody's making these things up. Um, it is heating up. That's the right word. There's, there's little hot spots sort of all over the city outbreaks within hospitals um i mean it's, it's important to get across nobody's running around with their hair on fire there's no panic there is actually still some capacity in the icus because our, our board colleagues are doing such an incredible job of uh, keeping people appropriately out of the icu and you know what icu has had all the limelight and the, the regular wards have not so let me just give a big shout out to those guys but it is it is heating up there is still capacity we're still managing but all of the graphs show you know a space rocket graph going way up into the sky for the next couple of months even dr brinley i think there's uh there's a lot of people who can't wrap their head around on how uh 57 people in intensive care could um you know cripple uh, a health uh, a health system or 70 people let's put it that way people are like they have thousands of employees the budget is whatever it is what's going on here can you explain what is happening when it comes to um inside the hospital and about the pressures as far as you know employees being sick about you know uh, patients you know one to a room how that impacts the overall system yeah i can certainly try uh, you know ultimately people are going to believe me or not believe me the issue is that ICU is a very specialized place. It's not even equipment, it's the human resources. People are already exhausted, just like every single person listening to this. We're exhausted too. Um, but 
in terms of specialized and skilled staff, there's only so many people. And what ends up happening is if somebody gets exposed, then people who might also have been exposed are then taken off work or have to be screened and therefore already exhausted and stretched lines are already stretched more and even more exhausted. And so it's a profound knock-on effect. So if you go into our emergency rooms and again, the emerge docs and nurses are heroes more than ICU staff. They were already short-staffed before any of this started. They already had trouble filling their lines. And now you add nine, ten months of further exhaustion and further fear of this spreading through hospitals and all sorts of caution. And so it's that knock-on effect. I hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just kind of continues to grow and grow and grow. Um, you know... I- you watching very much, you can see firsthand how th- those rise, rising numbers in the in the community translate into more hospitalizations. I mean, that's a direct correlation, isn't it? Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, I'm not I'm not a public health official or public health expert, and I've I've tried to be very careful through all of this stuff not to make public health pronouncements, just to report what happens in the ICU and talk about what we need in the ICU rather than public health. But you know, it's it's pretty difficult to make any other assumption. Now, through history, the second wave in a pandemic has always been bigger than the first one. Uh-huh. So again, it isn't a shock. It isn't surprising. It's exactly what thousands of years of history have told us. Do you think we've hit the peak of this? Um, no. Mm. What does that look like for you? Is that concise enough? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know because we've learned all sorts of lessons from New York and Italy and those places that everybody saw on the TV. So hopefully we can avoid that. It's a very difficult thing to message because on the one hand, I don't want people to panic. I don't want people to think ridiculous things like, you know, we're going to say, well, we've got one bed left in the ICU and four patients. Who gets it? I mean, we would never, ever, ever do stuff like Mm. that. We're all mums and dads and brothers and sisters and members of the community ourselves. We would never get into that. But on the other hand, people do need to understand this is serious. It could get worse. And we still have a little bit of time to do the right thing and to take this seriously. You know, I hate the restrictions um, on a personal level. I, you know, I've got my ski gear all nicely sharpened in one corner of the room, my scuba gear and my budgie smugglers in the other corner. I'm ready to go. I want to go traveling. But I can't any more than anyone else can. I don't like going to work wearing a mask. I've done it now for nine, ten months, but I do it because I have to. And, and what I'm concerned is that people won't approach this scientifically. They'll approach it emotionally or politically and just basically say, well, I don't like the restrictions, therefore I'm not going to follow them. I mean, I have huge sympathy for business owners. It's fine for an ICU doctor. I just keep going to work. The, the people going out of business, the people literally and figuratively losing their minds through this, I have enormous, enormous sympathy for them. But we can't just brush away data because we don't like it. Well, Peter, Peter, the fact is, is that people are brushing away uh, data because they don't like it, whether it's a political thing, whether they just don't buy into it. They think it's a complete scam. They think that this was, you know, something made up in, you know, Bill Gates' living room, whatever it is. I, I hear it all. I hear it all on the text line I mean you know I, I had an interview with someone the other day you know and she said 
were, in her opinion, that she that she said that we were past the point of personal responsibility of continuing to pound people, wear your mask, wash your hands, because most of those people have bought in. But there's a couple other groups out there that maybe not. Those who think it's all a scam and those who are worried about maybe losing their job or not having a paycheck and so maybe that's why they will go to work with some symptoms that sort of thing i mean i think there's a different way to handle each of those people the people who have already bought in you tell them i'm guessing to keep doing what you're doing yeah i think you actually start by saying thank you very much for doing this because i know it's not easy uh, I think we have to start with positive reinforcement rather than just slapping people when they don't do everything they should do. You know, a great example was in my hospital. I hate wearing a mask, and I have one of those chronically itchy faces where I constantly want to scratch my nose. And so my boss, who's a lovely chap, one day saw me pull down my mask and scratch my uh, nose. And I, he said, hey, come on, Peter, pull the mask back on. And you know what? He could have shouted at me he didn't Mm -hmm. i could have shouted back at him i didn't we just sort of said yep you betcha sorry about that and we carried on and a lot of this is just carry on but but back to people losing their jobs it's awful in no way am i minimizing that i mean i've heard it argued that sort of healthcare workers want to keep this going because it makes us look good and makes us Mm -hmm. look like the heroes trust me it was once said that the difference between priests and doctors is we try and get rid of our patients. And it's it's meant in the nicest sense possible. No, none, of us, none of us want this. You know, I'm not in league with Big Pharma, as I've been accused of being. Yeah. And I'm certainly, you know, because of all the endotracheal tubes I've been putting in and putting people on beds, I'm not in league with big mattress or big plastic either. <laughs> this is a this is a terrible situation for everybody. I have immense sympathy and it's one of the reasons I've tried to do a bit of public engagement because I think people need a forum to be heard because if they're not heard, then they will sort of spin off into these conspiracy theories and stubbornness. Dr. Brindley, then what do we do with that group of people or is there anything that we can do with that group of people who, who think that this is all made up, that it's a massive hoax and hell no, I'm not going to wear a mask and hell no, my kid can have a party if they want. And that, well, oh, by, and by, and by the way, more. by the way, that was a text yesterday. <laughs> well, well, fair enough. I may be a little more protected from that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm told it's called doom trolling where you you sort of constantly go looking for this stuff and you're constantly pounded by this stuff and i've deliberately stayed away (laughs) from social media to the greatest extent that i can what do you say i mean i've been a doctor for 25 years and it's always been the same you know some people will listen and you have to thank them for listening some people need persuading and you have to dedicate the respectful time to engage and some people won't listen but you still do your job and you still mm-hmm. try your very best to do the right thing i i can't tell politicians what they have to message but i i can implore them to listen to public health officials and to the scientific data and there's a big distance between scientific data and political imp- implications and how do you actually make it happen and i don't have that expertise but what, what i can say is that please guys you know so that we can all get through this and by the way when the vaccine comes around let's not disappear into other conspiracy theories take the vaccine for goodness sake let's um, yeah i wanted and, to talk to you that's about what i'm going to keep saying
Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about uh, about the vaccine. I mean, some fairly good news over the past uh, week from Pfizer, from Moderna. Um, I, again, uh, I don't think it's time to go popping a, a pop and open a, a bottle of champagne, but it's on the horizon. Your thoughts about what you've heard over the past week? Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of finding any excuse to pop a bottle of <laughs> at least Prosecco or champagne's voice too overpriced. Um, it is optimistic, and it's a lot more optimistic than a lot of us expected. It's very difficult to produce a vaccine, and so it still has to be peer-reviewed. It still has to be picked over by the scientific community. We cannot have science by press release. Um, but it's extremely optimistic, and it's very difficult to produce a, a vaccine that is the appropriate mix of efficacious, i.e. it works, and safe, i.e. it doesn't trigger an excess immune response in patients. But if what is coming out is to be believed, and I, I think it is to be believed, this is this is the best way to open up the economy. So if people want the economy opened up, take the vaccine it's the best way to visit your loved ones in the mm. hospital so if you want that take the vaccine it's the best way to get out under the ski hills and to see me and those aforementioned budgie, budgie smugglers <laughs> on the beach no it's, i just don't see a downside I, I i was told by somebody the other day that the vaccines have got remote trackers in them yeah yeah really mm -hmm. i mean do we believe this stuff? Listen, the telephone in your pocket's got a remote tracker in it. You know, if that's your belief, get rid of get rid of your telephone. There's no way you could put remote trackers into vaccines. It's just impossible. You but nonetheless, people have doubts. And I, and I just hope I can reassure them that I will be at the front of the queue with my family and neighbors for a vaccine when I know it's safe and efficacious. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating that you said that. I, I, I had to unfriend some friends yesterday uh, on uh, on Facebook, on social media, just because they've uh, gotten too far down the conspiracy theory hole and, you know, talking about the trackers and stuff. And I think that's, that's okay. It's another way of protecting yourself through all of this because if there's one thing that we've learned, and certainly, Peter, from from having our conversations over the past eight months I mean we're all handling this very differently we all um, we all are having different experiences through all of this but and it's overwhelming at the end of it all it is over mm -hmm. bloody whelming and um, you know I think we all want it we, we all just want it to end so if we could just start working together it would go a really long way wouldn't it I think it absolutely would. We've all had our moments, I promise you. I know I tried to come across all Francis of Assisi-like here, <laughs> but we've all had our moments. We've all had our meltdowns, surprising meltdowns where we've snapped at somebody. The difference is if you collect yourself afterwards, apologize to that person and recommit to uh, doing the right thing. I mean, I don't know whether we're looking at three more months of this or six more months of this I, I really don't know but i do know in the meantime i'm well fed i'm well loved mm -hmm. um i live in a lovely privileged fortunate part of the world yes my job is more protected than others although God, who knows with some of the squabbles going on between healthcare professionals and the government but yeah, I don't want to sound like a commercial here but we will make it through this um and the quality that we'll make it through this sort of depends on what we do for the next couple of months, especially now that that graph really is at the inflection point where it could 
go through the ceiling. So uh, any final words on uh, or any suggestions on what we should be doing to get through this as we as we look at that little maybe beacon of hope off in the future? Get the vaccine. Number two, spend time with the people you love in whatever way you can with these restrictions during COVID. Take time for yourself. And I'm saying this as much as a mantra to myself and other healthcare workers. You know, we're really good at going pedal to the metal. We're mm-hmm. very bad at sitting back and saying, instead of, you know, looking through the internet today, I'm going to read a book or I'm going to, goodness knows, listen to classical music or I'm going to cook or I'm going to (laughs) take some cookies to my next door neighbor. But I actually think most of the solutions are there. They're sort of very old fashioned ideas because we've had pandemics with us for millennia. And so it's really all about creating community. And, you know, if a biotechnical doctor like me is saying that, then look how much this could change us for the better. Dr. Brindley, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for checking in with us. Warmest regards to everybody out there. Thank you.